This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. This has nothing to do with uh, what I'm about to say in the podcast, but I just realized that I record that little intro, This is Sermon Smith, fresh every time, and I feel like it sounds exactly the same every time. Maybe in the new year that is to come, I will have to practice different inflections of how to say, This is Sermon Smith, a bi-weekly conversation. All right, let's get on with it. My guest today is Tim Suttle. Tim and I met last spring. We were at a conference, and we were introduced by Tim Keel. And just chatting for a little bit, sharing a van and some coffee on the way to the conference one day, we just had a great conversation. And I thought, this this is somebody I could uh, enjoy talking with a lot. So I knew that at some point I would want to have him here on the podcast. For those of you who are a little bit weary of all of the digital talk, the nerd talk in the last few I haven't heard anybody say that, but, you know, just in case, uh, I think you'll especially appreciate this one. Tim has a very analog approach, but still one that whether you're on your computer a lot and do a lot there or you prefer to just spread everything out on your desk, uh, he has some great thoughts that I think you'll appreciate. He very much has an artist's uh, perspective on how he goes about it, loves the idea of engaging narrative, as you will hear. Tim is the pastor of Redemption Church in the greater Kansas City area. He is a former singer for the band, much more than singer, uh, songwriter, all that, for the band Satellite Soul, uh, and just an all-around great guy who's also in the process of, of writing some great books, blog posts. He's just a thoughtful guy, and you'll see as that comes out. So that's all I have to say today. We're going to jump right in, and here is Tim Subtle. I will try my best to not be distracted. I've commented on this in a number of interviews, but you're right in front of your bookcase. So, you know, I'm looking at books. <laughs> Sorry, it's like this my desk. It's just where I end up doing this stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And it's right. There's a there's a window like right behind the computer. So it has decent light always. Got it. So I end up doing all the Skype stuff I do here. All right. Uh, well, you are you are I'm, we're going. We're officially going right now, so take that All right. take that sip of water you just took, and we're yeah, on. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Tim, tell us about uh, tell us about Redemption Church. Tell us about your context where you are. Yeah, so Redemption Church is a church plant that started in 2002, and I helped plant the church. It's actually my second church plant. My first was in 1996 in another suburb of Lee Summit. So I'm at Redemption is in Olathe, which is a suburb of Lee Summit. It's kind of south Kansas City. Yeah. Um, white middle class um, to upper middle class to even part of it very affluent. Um, actually, if you were looking overall in Johnson County, Kansas, the southern part, it's it's a very affluent county Um you know, at times it's been in the top five or 10 in the nation. Hmm, okay. Um, and so we planted with kind of the old school um, mega church model, which lasted about, I, I would say, a couple of years. And then I was kind of deconstructing theologically, and um, we were growing like crazy and um, kind of falling into um, patterns that made us more and more uncomfortable, I think, in terms of our ecclesiology that was emerging. And so we kind of recurved toward missional thought in the first, about year three. Yeah. And, um, 
uh, quickly went from, you know, 450, 500 people to about a hundred people. Which you're famous um, for. We'll get to that. Shrinking but... <laughs> right on. <laughs> and then, then we, um, we also at that time began to just reorient ourselves toward those living on the margin yeah. of our community, which led us to, um, a homeless ministry that has grown and blossomed over the years. And then it also led us to moving um, from kind of a more um, affluent suburban part down to really one of the only extended pockets of concentrated socioeconomic diversity and um, poverty in Johnson County. And so we bought an old church down here. The churches are all leaving, you know, they're selling their buildings. And so we bought an old Lutheran church and have, Moved in and been here about five years now. And so we have a Hispanic church, a congregation that, that um, while we're in worship, they're in Sunday school. And while we're leaving, they're moving in. Huh. All of it, all of it around um, um, 30 or 40 homeless folks who are with us um, who come in early in the morning to shower and do um, AA meetings and um, Bible studies and stuff. And so it, our, I sometimes say our church is, is probably the strangest piece of real estate in Kansas City for about three hours on Sunday morning. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty funny place. And so, is so the, that's my So is the congregation, would they mostly be lower income, or are you also connecting with a lot of the higher income families in the area? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a really interesting mix. Um, of old and young, of white, Hispanic, um, different minorities. Um, it, when, when you add in, you know, it's a strange thing when you're working with immigrant communities, especially first-generation immigrants, is that their kids are going to identify very quickly with, with um, how they would say it is with American culture. Hmm. So their kids are going to feel American by the time they hit adolescence. In fact, they're going to be striving to fit in with that kind of with mainstream culture in that way. And so, for instance, our youth group is half Hispanic, if not more, some nights. And in some ages, it's it's predominantly. And um, and yet the adult uh, Hispanic and white congregations are, are, are very separate, although that's beginning to blur a little bit. And then, um, you know, with with homeless folks, it's it's all over the map. Um, so it really is this kind of strange menagerie of, of folks, um, but somehow it works. And do you, uh, is, so the Spanish speaking service, is there another pastor for that or do you preach in there? Yes, there okay. is. No, no, I'm, I'm barely funny in English, so we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> Fair. Um, and then the, so talk, you talked about a, like a theology shift. I don't know how much that's ecclesiology or other things. Cause I've talked with you once before we hung out for a little while. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, usually my experience with churches named redemption churches, they come from a gospel coalition, reform, neo reform stream. Is that mm -hmm. your stream or were you planted no. in that stream or is that just, no. yeah. it's not really, we were, um, our heritage as a church is, is in the evangelical Presbyterian denomination and i i grew up southern baptist okay um so that's kind of my place um and our church is we do we are not connected to a denomination um we i think would identify as evangelical 
we would feel, I think, a lot of resonance with um, missional theology um, or mission missional churches as a, I mean, that's kind of a pretty wide umbrella, but it, that seems to feel right for yeah. us. And I think those are our people. Um, we're not hip and cool in any way. I mean, we're, we often will say we're a ragamuffin church because yeah. that seems to, that seems to describe, it's a pretty, um, broken mishmash of people. Um, and it's a very, um, uh, I'm trying to struggle for a word. I mean, you can say authentic or real. I say ragamuffin just because it's kind of, it is a little rough around the edges, um, in our congregation. Um, yeah. So like I tell when people come and guest preach, I'll tell them, don't ask rhetorical questions because you will get answers. <laughs> um, and they will, they will not always be like appropriate. And like, especially, you know, folks who are, so many of our members are, are homeless folks and they have, you know, that, that's not just a, um, it's not just uh, like a choice or just a um, life decision or something like that. Uh, they've chosen or they are, they have been thrust into living outside social norms. And so there's a lot of social norms you trust in while you're delivering a sermon or while you're leading worship. And those <laughs> they don't apply. I mean, mm. uh, so if they raise their hand, um, they don't, they don't have a question. Like they want to help you with your sermon because you're not getting the job done, you know? <laughs> so they're, worship has some interesting dynamics, um, and preaching does as well. Yeah. How, so how long do you normally preach with all that? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I go a little bit long. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm more conversational in my style. It's, it's, I have a weird, weird method, which we can talk about, but I, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm usually between 35 and 40 minutes. Okay. Um, but I, I tell, I trust in narrative a lot and I try not to, um, I try not to edit that quite as much now as I think I did in the beginning. So I go a little bit longer now. And so what would you say in the life of Redemption Church, uh, what, what place or what role does preaching hold? Yeah, that's a great, um, that's a central question actually for us because in, in our, um, in our common life, the um, worship is central. Worship is um, the heart of what we do as a, as a congregation. In fact, um, if we didn't do anything else, we have to do that. Hmm. And by worship, I mean gathering on Sunday yeah. um, around the word, around the table, around um, fellowship and prayer and confession and scriptures. And so that, that moment for us is um, a central moment when we are more, I think, like what we are supposed to be, what we are meant to be, created to be, than at any other time in our life. And so we're practicing together how we want to be all the rest of the time in our in our lives. And a, a really big part of that is the sermon, because I think um, when I when I try to describe what it is we do, because redemption doesn't, we don't have like a, we don't have a mission statement or a vision, something, anything like that. We just don't have them in part because I think they're, 
um, uh, they can become a trap. Um, and partly just because we, we don't know what we're doing. Um, it feels like it's always emerging for us. Um, like when pastors ask, ask me what our mission statement I, is, I say, we don't have one. If they press, I say, it's get smaller and die. That's, <laughs> that seems to be our strategy. Um, but, and yet you're still here. And they, so yeah, you're failing. <laughs> yep, we're you're failing, failing as a failure. <laughs> yeah, we're failing wonderfully and slowly. Uh, but yeah, that, that worship moment um, is what gives us some sense of who we are. And it also, the sermon especially, is helping us switch stories, which I think is is a central thing to what um, Christian preaching should be. We're trying to imagine a world that does not quite exist. It's it's breaking in, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, so, so for me, I take the sermon really, really seriously. I um, I could not disagree w- more with people who downplay the role of week- weekly worship of gathering together as a community, um, and and that all of the sermon then is a build to um, communion in our in our church. Yeah. Okay. So you take communion every week too. It sounds like. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We do. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks. How how often do you preach? Right? Do you preach most weeks? Are you on a team? I do. We're kind of a smallish congregation. We're only 150 people or so, yeah. give or take. And um, yeah, you know what? What I have done, I preach, um, let me think, I preach about 38, 36 to 38, 39 times a year, as many as 40 or 41, I guess, in some years. But part of what I've done is I, um, I have over the years tried to build some friendships with other pastors and um, I try to have some regular voices and we have some amazing um, teaching pastors and lead pastors in Kansas city. Um, and I have worked pretty hard to build relationships with them where we can pulpit share um, swap, you know, so I can do one prep and give it my place and theirs and they can do the same thing. And just guys who come fill in Um and um, for me, I, I feel like I'm in a uh, unique situation that I love because, um, you know, I I came up through music yeah. um, originally, not through um, like the traditional pastor route. And so when I'm not preaching, I can lead worship, hmm. which I feel like is is um, that is a real gift for one thing, because I love it. It it still in some ways feels like home base for me. But also because, you know, as a as a pastor, there's always that thing where when you don't preach for a week, you're wondering in the back of your mind if your whole congregation is going, well, what did he do this week? You know, and I never I never worry about that because on those weeks I'm still involved in worship, but in a different role and one that I love. So, yeah, yeah, for 38 ish is probably center of the target. So what's your uh, topic planning process look like? Do you do lectionary yeah. or are you? Yeah. Yeah. We do lectionary for between Advent and um, Advent and Pentecost or Trinity Sunday. Yeah. And then sometimes we'll return to it then during ordinary time. It's interesting for us. So 
um, children are in with us during worship hmm. for up until the up until the sermon time, okay. and our our whole church sinks to the lectionary, including all the way down to the littles. And um, by six, you mean synchronizes, not like diminishes. So, so right, right. I mean, we so we study the same text, yeah, most of the time. I would say um, during that heavy, not when we're not in ordinary time, we are synced the whole time, and then throughout the year, we'll try to find touch points to sync back up. And um, yeah, so the lectionary. Um, it's been a big deal for us. I think we're on our third cycle through. Um, so three nine year years cycle. worth, yeah, yeah, just about. I think this. I think we are just in this Advent. We just started our ninth year. I think that's right. Am I right? No, we just started our seventh year. Okay, so we're in that third cycle. That's so you started with year C your first time doing it, and now you're back to year C for the yeah, third time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and um, do you just take it week to week as far as which text you'll preach on? Or do you try to say, okay, let's do all the Gospels this year or anything like that? Right, right. It kind of depends. Yeah. Um, in Advent, we we do some, we d- discipline ourselves to, for a couple of things. Um, usually try to get, hit the prophets during Advent hmm. and Lent. Um, so we'll get to the, we'll try to go to the Old Testament during Advent and Lent, um, just purposely. We also, in Advent, we, you know, I think it's two of the three years, there's a Sunday on Mary. And on one of the other years, if I'm remembering it right, it's like the United Methodist Psalm is actually the Annunciation. Hmm. Um, and so we, we hit Mary every week during Advent. It's stuff like that. We kind of have traditions that we do. Um, like that. And then the rest of the year, um, we'll do different things. I try, I'm really committed to preaching from the Old Testament a lot. Hmm. Um, so I try to, I try to hit, um, I, I think this year we probably did 50% of our time in the Old Testament. We preached from Old Testament, um, which is just, it's, I, for me, I'm doing that because I think it's, um, incredibly relevant um, for our current context, especially sitting in um, where we do in a neighborhood that's, you know, 85%. Um, well, we, we got right up to a, a grade school where 85% of the kids who go to that school are on free and reduced lunches. Yeah. And um, even more than that in, English as a second language, learning English. And so the prophets in the Old Testament, um, the exile themes, Exodus themes, these are really, really big for us. So we probably spend our a lot of the ordinary time in the Old Testament, and we try to hit the Sermon on the Mount kind of as our central um, text that we return to time and time again. And so, so, But the rest of the time we're in the Gospels usually. Yeah. So when when you're talking about you like the use the old Old Testament during ordinary time, you're talking mm-hmm. from lectionary or just even the series you choose to do might be an exegetical yeah. through Micah or something right. like that. Yeah, we'll do both. We'll do both. So lots of times we'll just we'll hop back over to the lectionary in part because maybe the students are have moved to the Old Testament in the lectionary for a while, um, and then we'll do things like 
this year I wanted to talk about security and, and, um, and kind of crash that into, you know, there's just a lot of fear in our culture. Yeah. Especially and, right now. Um, I know. Right. Yeah. It, it's really weird because we just came through that, um, kind of in the fall where we did, we talked about security and we did like five weeks in the book of Daniel. Um, it was a pretty amazing time. So I, it's, we, we've gone all the way through Nehemiah before. And so we'll do, we'll do whole big chunks of books like that. Yeah. Well, all right. With all that kind of framework in place, why don't you walk us through your week to week process? Yeah. Yeah. And get as nitty gritty uh, as you want. Cause if you don't get nitty gritty, I'll probably try to pull it out of you. So, okay. Okay, <laughs> cool. Well, I, yeah, you know, it's really interesting as I kind of read through, you said, this is what we usually talk about. And as I was thinking, what is my process? I realized, uh, you know, I cut my teeth in, in terms of writing. I cut my teeth as a songwriter, Yeah, which is what that's most of my writing from college and until, um, gosh, until mid thirties was writing songs, not writing prose or, or any sort of like sermon stuff like that. I mean, I, I did that sporadically, but that's just a long time for a process to be grooved toward one art form. That's not sermon writing or writing papers or blog posts or articles or books or something like that. And so, um, my sermon writing, I think, feels to me much like the same process as songwriting. And um, um, in part because I'm, uh, I'm always gathering um, images, information, um, ideas, quotes, one-liners. I, I, it's a... I mean, I started carrying these journals around with me everywhere I went when I was writing songs, um, in part because one time I heard Rich Mullins talking about it. Who Rich, um, Rich is still in many ways kind of my archetype, my, mm-hmm. my hero in lots of ways. But he, was, he one time talked about being a quilter, not a weaver, in terms of his artistry. He, he doesn't weave things from scratch. He just quilts things together. And uh, I think that's how I write sermons. That's how I write songs. Most of my creative process is is a stew. You know, it's kind of not very original even. Um, so I, I feel like I'm always on the lookout for something to write down in my journal that will end up in a sermon sometime over the next two years. I just don't know when. So you're still carrying a journal around just like your songwriting did. Always. Yep. Yep. Always. I mean, do you have a, like, is this like a little pocket field notes bolaskina or is it a bigger one that you just never leave that? Yep. That's what it is. Is the, is is the, it's well here. Where is it? It's right here. (laughs) It's this one. Yeah. It's your big standard size moleskina. Yeah. And then, and then I, from, from that, I, I have like an, uh, a long time ago started um, a, just a thing on my hard drive that I could search, mm-hmm. which I called, they were files I called buckets. I think I heard it from Rob, Rob Bell. Yeah, Rob time. Bell. And the term buckets, I thought that's perfect. I just dump crap in these buckets. And I mean, I have hundreds of them on my on my hard drive now. 
And so I'll scan things, take snap pictures of the things, type things in and, and gather them in ways that I can um, word search them on my hard drive. Are those actual, like, are those an Evernote? Are those Word documents? I, yeah, they're Word documents. I, I am, I have tried Evernote and I am, I am going to be a really late adopter on that if ever. <laughs> um, it's yeah. kind of weird. I, I have trouble. I'm not like a Luddite. I just, I don't, I have ADD way too bad to learn new technology. Sure. Um, so like re recording when I, when I was recording and producing with Satellite Soul and with the bands that I would produce, I was working on analog. I mean, that's how I learned. I, I didn't, I never recorded on a computer. Hmm. And when that all kind of came into vogue, I was this kind of boutique operation that still didn't do all that stuff. So I'm such a late adopter. Fair I just I don't, I don't like to learn new things. So I don't know if I'll ever go to Evernote. So you, so you have a file. So you've, Collect things in a Moleskine. I've got one right here that yep. I'm writing notes as we're talking. So. Yeah, man. Right so, see, you got the fancy well, Evernote. This is the Evernote one. Right? That's right. Um, so you're, you've got that going, but then you've also got just like a folder on your computer that you're tossing stuff in. Right. How I do you search that. it? Um, it's, I can just word search okay. on, on the on the hard drive. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, and, you know, when I was songwriting... I, I, there was no, I didn't move to computer. I kept it on the journal and I do have some things. I have like some back pages in my journal where, um, when I start a new journal, I go to the back and I, I make some headings mm -hmm. and then number my pages and, um, I'll record stories, quotes, ideas. I'll record that stuff in back. Um, so I have a book, I have one that's called books a page that's books. And I just, when somebody tells me something I should read, I put it in there. I have one that's images and then I have one that's narratives. So you have an index and, basically. And, yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of just group things back there. So, and uh, I, I learned to, I have learned to split out my journaling. So I have one journal journal that's a bigger Moleskine for, um, for tasks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that gets separated. And then I have another journal that's for, um, this is strictly for sermon prep. So let me, I'll show you. So like that it, it's, um, I, this, yeah. I learned songwriting. I split the page right here and images and ideas and stuff goes down here and my notes and stuff go over here. And so I have one of these that is, the only entries on there, this are just this line of sermons from when, whenever I started. And that's the only thing that goes in that. Hmm. So that lasts a long time. And my, just my gathering journal lasts a really long time. Um, Cause I just, I like to have as much of that imagery and idea and stuff with me at all times. So if we were having lunch tomorrow, would that journal be sitting on the table by you in case you yeah, wanted to jot absolutely. something down? Yeah. 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 Like, it, it doesn't, it, it rarely goes in my bag. The only time it goes in my bag is when I leave the office and know I'm going straight home. And then any, when I'm out and about, even like if I run for run the kids to basketball practice, I take the journal usually. Um, How about yeah, if you're at a always, Kansas city Royals world series game? 
Well, I'm not one of those lucky people that ever gets <laughs> tickets to like the really good. <laughs> okay, good any games. Kansas City Royals game. I, like even yeah, someplace like uh, that, you'll have it with you. No, probably not a Royals okay. game. Okay. Yeah. If I'm just if if I'm with my family, like with my kids. I guess I've never really thought about this. When I'm with my kids, I usually don't take it hmm. because one of my problems is, um, or ch- challenges we'll say is being emotionally present with yeah. my kids, especially in the middle of the creative process. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a point in my week every week, usually Thursday where I'm in like neurotic, obsessive, compulsive, mad scientist mode. And, um, so Thursday night is is a rough night usually hmm. around our house. Yeah. I'm not always fit to be around. So your so your process then is initially you you're just always like collecting ideas that might not even be for a specific sermon or maybe they're for a sermon that you know is coming up. So when it comes yep. to be Monday and you've got next Sunday coming, how does all that start to factor in? Right. Okay. So so on 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 Monday, well, um, so my process is because it was songwriting. You know, um, in songwriting there or in 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 music, there was a with a rhythm to my re- week where basically from Thursday through Sunday, for the most part, usually um, we were out playing gigs, mm-hmm. and so m- my Sabbath was usually. Sunday afternoon to Monday afternoon. And um, so that's kind of still my rhythm. Um, that lets me t- uh, be with, do at least half my Sabbath with the family and then take the kids to school on Monday. And then me and my wife have Monday morning just together. Um, uh, we'll go, you know, we'll go to a coffee shop and read or we'll go to museums if we can and take walks and, um, so sermon prep for me starts with rhythms and it starts with Sabbath. Um, so I feel like that's when I begin. I take that really seriously. And I, if I don't take a good Sabbath on Monday, by the time I hit Friday, I'm in, I'm in the weeds. Hmm. Um, and it only takes one or two weeks of missing before I, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So the pro- process for me starts with rhythms. It starts with Sabbath. And with um, uh, that text, um, which I usually read um, either Sunday afternoon, if I'm ambitious, <laughs> or or Monday morning early when I get up, I'll read it and I start ruminating on it. Just Is that left. usually like, your first look? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll usually read the chapter. I, I like to, like, I love the online resources now are so amazing. So I'll have, I'll have the reader read it to me a few times on Bible Gateway and a couple of different versions. And I try to get it in my head and just let it work on me um, for a while. And then if I'm, if I'm doing great Monday afternoon, I have an hour or two set up, set aside to just think about it a little bit, the text. Yeah. So I'm not thinking about preaching. I'm thinking about the text and I'm writing things down and fooling around like on text week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I usually don't get to the commentaries or anything by then. But so that's where it starts for me is, is Sabbath and trying to rest 
and then just letting that text kind of just living with it. I'm chuckling so because I don't think I've ever heard anybody say the phrase fooling around on text week. I think that's the first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a total nerd, man. I mean, it's, that's like a playground for me. Yeah, I can, there's lots of some stuff. Some people do Amazon. I, that, that place could, I could just lose a whole day. Yeah. So, uh, so you're thinking about the text, you're chewing on it, you're listening to it and you're exploring stuff on text week. And this is all Monday afternoon, even into Tuesday. Right. Some, it sounds like. Yeah. Tuesday is a heavy staff day. Okay. So I do Tuesdays. I start at six thirty AM and I I'm in meetings straight through till staff. Um, we read in our staff, we do staff prayer and we read the passage that I'm going to preach on during our staff prayer. Mm -hmm. And we'll often end up talking about it um, as a staff. And then staff is done. And I do, um, uh, then I, I do, tr I try to get a couple of hours on Tuesday afternoon to do some blogging. And then I'm back to the, so I'm writing on a different subject. And then I'm back to the text, hopefully to get in the commentaries and get some nuts and bolts work done, some Greek or Hebrew study and, and kind of do, do a more disciplined approach to the text on Tuesday. And judging by and the then, bookshelves behind you, you're not a Bible software person. You're, you've got, I'm not, you pull out the no. tangible books. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like my books, I like to mark them up. I, I, you know, part of it for me is I'm, I'm very visual learner. And so I remember where things are on the page and how I marked them up. And, um, I, I started that way when I was, I mean, in beginning out in ministry. And so I got a lot of years invested in some of those pages. Yeah. Um, it's interesting for me, this is another part of my process is I feel like one of the like I was saying rhythms are big, but how my space is organized is huge for me. Hmm. Um, and so like my, my office, the way it's, I have way too many books. Um, but I, I kind of have them organized so that I have like the greatest hits shelves that are close to me and I can just, I don't have to get up and go get stuff. So, yeah. you know, certain theologians and writers are big for me and they're right around me. The commentaries are right around me so I can, when I get into kind of crazy focus mode, I can, I can stay, stay so, there. So on Tuesday afternoon, you're, you know, getting into that. What are some of your go-tos commentary wise? Um, yeah. Um, so it, when, when we're in lectionary season, I love the feasting on the word yeah. commentaries. Those are great. Um, honestly, I, every, I try to have all of Barbara Brown Taylor's sermon books around, and I, I try to go see what she said if if there's a passage. In fact, I'm trying to actually index her stuff slowly hmm. so that I can – so I don't have to just keep leafing through the books. As much fun as that is, it's not very efficient. Um, and b same thing with Beekner. Yeah. Uh, same thing with Peterson. I want to know what – I want to know what those guys have said about a pastor – or about a passage because they were pastors, not just um, – theologians and not just Bible scholars. Um, I love the new interpreters Bible. That's, um, 
that's one of my go-tos in terms of a preaching commentary. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, at the end of those sections, they have those reflection things where they give you, they, they number them. And it's basically saying you could preach it this way, or you could preach it this way, or you could preach it this way. And it's, it's, it's really helpful to me. Um, I don't always go with one of those, but it's just, I like to hear how other people have worked the passage. Yeah. Um, and to see what that does for me. And then I have some, you know, I, I buy commentaries kind of by author. Okay. So I don't, after, after that, I don't really have series. I mean, I have lots of stuff from the interpretation series. I end up really liking that, but then it's just, it's a hodgepodge for me. So you're going through whichever, you know, whichever note, whichever books you, you choose for that day and, you're making notes in that sermon notebook. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I'm back. I'm to my big notebook. I've got a little margin on the right side. Yeah. And over there, I'm just writing big ideas, themes. I'm writing images. Um, I'm noting stories um, and where they are in my other journal or on my hard drive if I if I need them there. But that way, as I'm taking notes, then down through the passage, which I do by hand, I'm I'm out to the right, kind of gleaning bigger ideas. Um, and usually, and, and here's what, here's what I'm doing at that point. Um, and this is where I start with the, with the text is that I am looking for tension. And this is, this comes from the songwriting thing. Cause you don't write, you don't write a song about like, everything's fine. <laughs> you know, you write a song about everything sucks and here's why. And, um, or I'm, or you're wrestling with something that doesn't sit well with you. And so I am trying to mine the text for tension. That's what I am. And I don't, I never, um, I never stop studying until I found it. And that might be um, an ancient tension, contemporary tension, any tension or a particular tension. Yeah, I'm looking for a way that the text calls um, me into tension or into question or calls um, me as a part of my church and our church into tension or into question, calls our culture into question or maybe the church universal. Like I'm, I'll, I'll hit any or all of those and that can be enough to trigger me. Okay, it's time to start thinking and start it's time to move toward writing. Um, so yeah, that's the twist for me until, until the text has really called my life in, into question in a serious way, either individually as a person or as a participant in the church or in the church universal or, you know, America or whatever it is. America. Um, and, until that happens, I keep studying. Okay. So once you get to that tension, what's next? Hopefully that's Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe it's Saturday, know, right? but uh... right. And sometimes it's not. It's such a it's such a scary thing. Um, so then then what I had to um, once I've got the text there, usually, and then I got the tension. Usually I'm going to keep going a little bit in the text and kind of finish where I am. But I'm then I'm on to like brainstorming um, and. I'm gleaning things out of my commentary notes, sometimes reorganizing them. 
And then um, what I'm trying to get out of that is the central thing, which is what the one, the one idea, the one um, theme. Um, and I, and I, I work with that like I would work with a chorus of a song. So I'm trying to find the refrain. Hmm. Um, so like this week we're doing Mary, right? And I've been mad scientist mode for about 24 hours. And I'm a little farther along this week than Kevin's. And, um, but today got to the refrain, which is, so Mary's, Mary's Magnificat is, um, the may it be unto me according to your word. And so had been thinking, I mean, I, I've gone through tons of images and ideas around that and hone in on, it feels like this time what Mary's speaking to me is um, the idea of if Mary was here and could tell us her story and tell in great vivid detail everything. And then, at the end of it had some challenge for us. I think what she would challenge us with is something like, and this is the refrain for my sermon writing process, something like what, um, what wants to be born into the world through you? Hmm. That would be, that would be your challenge. So now I've got my refrain and then I start looking for narrative for an image um, or a story to tell. And I, I, I preach a little bit differently. And I, I think this has changed for me over the past three years because um, I've been writing more book length stuff and you can stretch your legs a little bit there. And honestly, because I've been listening to podcasts like crazy, I've become a complete podcast junkie. And I, I think there's no other place in culture that's telling stories as well as they are in podcasts. I can't believe what they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and I'm so compelled by it. Um, and so I have begun to, um, I have, I've begun to let those stories take up more time and more words. And so I'll stretch a narrative for, you know, 800, a thousand, 11 or 1200 words in, in the beginning of a message and always somehow con connected to that refrain. Hmm. And so that piece can take a long, long time hunting through stories to find something that has enough resonance with that refrain that, that it'll preach well. So that's a huge next part of my process. When you describe this refrain, are you using that even as a literal, you will use that refrain and return to it and repeat it throughout the sermon? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes I end up there. There's a lot of times, like, so in my sermon style, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm going to try to tell a story. This is also kind of how I organize the sermon itself. So I'm going to try to um, tell a story, then go to the text and talk about the particulars of the text. And, mine, and bring out that tension. And then I'm going to try to draw it together in a way that hurts a little bit. Hmm. Um, and, then, um, and then I am either going to say, 
this is just the tension we have to live with. We don't get to solve this tension. We, this is a brokenness we have to bear. And here's how we bear it. Or I'm going to say, actually, this can be solved. It's solved in, in this way or this way. Um, and yet, we, this is a problem for us. We can't really do this because of how jacked up we are or something. So I'm going to, that refrain, I'll, I'll usually hold it in my pocket until the central moment where I've crashed together this longer narrative, a longer story, and the scripture, and then just kind of bumped those into each other enough times to where there's some heat. And that's when I usually go to the refrain. So lots of times I only get there once, and then all everything else after that is kind of a little bit prologue. Um, and sometimes in, this, in that last move, after I've built tension, brought in some kind of a refrain or chorus, then sometimes there's another narrative that has to get told there, usually from the scriptures, often from the gospels. Um, and, and so sometimes there'll be kind of a secondary deal where you're doing, you're doing another narrative, another scripture, and then another counter melody or counter refrain. What form is when it, when you're all done with all this, what form is it taken mm-hmm. as you step into the pulpit or music stand or whatever yeah. you have? Yeah. Yeah. The old man has it music stand. Um, yeah, it, I, so I manuscript, but I, um, I put it in outline form, mm-hmm. but it's a real manuscript and I blow up the type to about 14 and I have a color coding method and bold slash underlining and, um, marking. I, I have a way of marking it up. Um, just with colored font and underlining or bolding, so so that like a like three thousand to thirty five hundred thirty five hundred word sermon is about ten pages, ten or eleven for me, hmm. and it's it's manuscripted, but every paragraph is changed to like a topic sentence and then points. Um, so that I can, when I look at it, I can get a couple or three lines per glance. And I learned this again. It all goes back to music. I'm terrible at remembering lyrics to songs hmm. um, and got just made fun of incessantly for forgetting the words to my own songs, which I totally do. <laughs> um, and so I have cheat sheets always. So my, my, it's there in manuscript form. Um, but part, part of what I think about the sermon, I mean, I said, I think it's, it's super important and I really do. I believe a lot in what we're doing when we stand up there. I don't think we're, we're, um, we're not just teaching, although there's teaching element We're there's a huge part of it that's prophetic in terms of, um, trying to say, this is what our life is like right now and why it's in tension with the gospel. And if we continue down this trajectory, this is how it's going to go. Um, there's, there's an aspect of it where you have to get to the good news. You have to talk about peace and as in Shalom and how Jesus has changed everything and how God is making all things new through Christ and the church. And um, so for me in the process of um, 
sermon writing, I feel like what I'm doing is a, I am scripting what is going to be a creative telling. Um, and I don't mind calling it a performance. I really don't. I'm going to try to, I've worked really hard. I got usually 20 hours in this thing by the time I get there. And I know what this can do um, if I'll do it well. And so I practice a lot. Like I'm usually when I stand up there, I, it's my third hmm. time through at, at the very minimum, often yeah. fourth or fifth time through so that I can, I can riff. Um, I stick to the sermon, but I can use it just, I, I stick to the manuscript, but I can use it to kind of just prompt me and I know the language well enough. So yeah, man, I, I feel like the, um, like if I try to, if I try to teach now off of just like a pure, like a manuscript, like when I teach classes at seminary or, or college or something, I'll often have my notes organized like that. I kind of struggle to be fluid and I'm so used to this style, yeah. which I'm sure everybody gets that way. Yeah. So you're, you're third time through, you're just starting third time through, uh, I guess you're three weeks into that about, um, or four. So you've got all sorts of old notebooks full of stuff. Are you going mm -hmm. back to these at all? Or are you finding most of this yeah. is recent thinking? You go yep. back to them. I try to, yep. I go back and look at what I've, what I said last time. Um, in part to see how we, how we're doing. Hmm. Um, and if some of those things we've talked about are beginning to become embodied in our common life. Um, and it's strange how they are. Um, it's strange how much um, just gathering together to try to imagine a different way of organizing our common life together so that we could better embody peace and better image Christ to the world. It's strange how much of an effect that has on you over time. It really does. So a lot of it is for that. It's going back to going back to see what I said last time. Um, see how we're doing. See if any of that can carry over and still needs to be said. Totally selfish question on my part. Um, <laughs> well, it's not that selfish. It's curiosity. But you've used the phrase "common life" a couple times here. Is mm -hmm. that is that a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in the life of your church? And does yeah. it have a? Yeah. Does it have some kind of significance with that? Yeah, you know that comes from that comes from a couple of different places. One is the anthropology from which I work is that what what, what we mean when we say human um, names not a thing or person might even be a better word. What we mean when we say person, name's not a thing, but a relationship. Um, so we're not individuals who then decide our social connections. Part of what it means to be a person names a social connection. So um, it would be a social, uh, social constructed anthropology. So, I think what it means to be a person is literally a person in relationship. Hmm. So I'm not just me. I, I am unintelligible as a life form 
apart from community with other people. And I have different, um, this kind of comes from a little bit, it's a Freudian psychology rabbit hole somewhat, but we, I think we have different self states and different um, environments and um, that's natural. Yeah. Um, and so understanding myself as a person in community um, and then understanding the body of Christ as, you know, the, uh, the church as the body of Christ, the place where Christ is present in the world is it's pretty big in our congregation, especially because on any given Sunday, there are a bunch of folks in, our, in my church who are homeless and they're never going to get better. They're, they're never going to get sober. They're going to die drunk. And the only time they get to be a part of something holy is on Sunday when they come worship with us. Yeah. And the only time that their life is intelligible as part of the kingdom is when they're with us. And so our common life is, is, it is something we talk about a lot, how we organize our common life together has to be good news to the rest of the world. Um, or else we're just, we're just screwing around and, and then you get into the area of losing your saltiness and covering up the light with the bushel, you know? Yeah. Well, we are, uh, we're moving along here. I'll start a couple wind down questions just because I want to circle yeah, back man. to a couple things. You mentioned podcasts. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of your favorites that you've really been gleaning a lot from? Yeah, I've got a lot. I love um, Radio Lab's my favorite. Okay. Um, StoryCorps is really good. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing with Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Is strangely great. Um, He's a really good interviewer. He is. Yeah, um, listen to that um, one. Have you? It's so great. And then um, Pete Holmes. Sure. I really like his. Uh, let me think. Serial, of course. I totally love. Um, on Bean, Krista Tippett. I love her stuff. I try to listen to her at raw, uncut stuff. Um, there's The Moth. Yeah. Um, which, you know, some of that ends up not being great, but some of those stories are amazing. Um, so I'm usually, when I'm there, I'm looking for, I love the science aspect, um, that you get in like radio lab, but I'm looking for narratives. I'm looking for, um, compelling stories that I can then go research. I'm trying to think if there's any others. I'm sure there are. When do you listen to these? This is a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> anytime I'm, yep. Anytime I'm in the car, that's almost all I listen to. Um, I run. So uh, I, I'm, I'm out on the pavement and I run a little bit longer usually. So I'll, I'll run five or six miles, probably four times a week. And then sometimes I run really long, like run over half marathon length or more. And that's, man, you can get in a whole bunch or like yard work or anytime I'm, anytime I can't be reading, but I'm not around other people. I've, I've usually, I've usually got 
podcast song, yeah. at least right now. I, I, I do a ton of audiobooks too. Um, I, you know, AD, ADD is a huge issue for me. And um, so there are a lot of times that that's, that's why the noise blocking headphones have completely changed my life. Yeah. Because if I can't concentrate, I can go to a really crowded place and put the noise blockers in and listen to a book while I'm holding it in my hands. And, and I'm, I can lock in pretty good. But yeah, podcasts are they're pretty amazing. I agree. <laughs> That's yeah. why I'm doing one. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, you want to talk about your book? Yeah, about shrink. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want to know about? It? <laughs> well, just, uh, I mean, I know it's what it's probably a year or two old. Yeah, it's that, been out a, a little over a year. Just tell a little bit of the story of that book. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, shrink was man. It's been a while since I talked about it. Um. Shrink is trying to ask the question of what what would it look like if we um, did the stuff we do in ministry and then just drew a line between what we do and the results. And we stopped doing the things we do, the rhythms and habits and practices of the life of the church what what if we just built a big wall between the things that we do and the outcomes? And this this comes from honestly just a kind of a conviction that um, ministry is not the type of endeavor where you can control outcomes. You really just can't. And it comes from a lot of years of watching the Lord not bless um, my best efforts and the best efforts of folks around me. And um, it also comes, I think, somewhat as a reaction to um, the success crazed culture and the ways that the church has uncritically embraced that. And so we live in a bigger, better, higher, stronger, faster is king world. And I think the church to the extent that we embrace that we make a huge mistake. And, and so what happens is most searches, and this is, I know this is kind of a hard pill to swallow. But I think that most churches who get enamored with everything that I think goes on the other side of the wall and engineering outcomes, they end up um, ceasing to embody a different way of life hmm. than the rest of the culture. And so why go to church? You know, I can go to Starbucks, read the paper and catch Oprah's super soul Sunday and everything you do. Um, and, and so if we, if we build the wall big enough and high enough and stop trying to engineer results and just try to be faithful, it changes everything that comes before it. Um, and the moment we started to really do that effectively, it really transformed the life of our church. And we, sh we shrunk. We got a little smaller, but tons more um, alive and vibrant and flourishing and I think have 
even a much better impact on the world around us, even as a smaller church than we did when we were big. So shrink is is really kind of an experiment to say what would happen if we focused on faithfulness, not success, and how would that kind of deconstruct old models of leadership, and um, and then uh, reconstruct them around narrative and around virtues and um, a common life as a small little churches. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, man. So tell us uh, if somebody wants to keep up with what's going on with you, your church's website, your Twitter, your website. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my, the main place to hear what's going on with me is my blog is called paperback theology and it's at patheos.com. Mm-hmm. And then um, my church is redemptionchurchkc.com and um, all our sermons are online. They're recorded online there. And then Twitter, I think it's, Tim underscore subtle is my Twitter thing. And I'm kind of a lame social media. I do social media and fits and starts. So, but yeah, I, you can keep track of what's happening there. All right. And send me great. If you do that, send me great stories because I'm, and I'll share all, all mine too. Um, that's one of the things I've, I've loved about being a senior pastor for a while is I'm starting to have relationships where, there's a lot of reciprocating and a lot of sending. Hardly a day goes by somebody doesn't say, hey, you should read this. This is awesome. And hmm. I have kind of a distro list I'll kick things out to. So if anybody wants wants to some give and take, let me know. Nice. All right. And I should say subtle is S-U-T-T-L-E. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It doesn't have a subtle B in it. No, I am not that subtle. <laughs> no. Well, Tim, th- thanks so much. Uh, we are yeah. we're overdue for this conversation because Tim Keel. I, I can say this. Tim Keel introduced us last spring. Yes, and Tim was yep. on the podcast. He was one of my early interviews, and he said to me, and you were standing there, so he said it right in front of you. You need to have Tim <laughs> settle on your podcast. And here I am, many months later, finally getting back. So, thanks yeah, for man. thanks for responding and not holding it against me when I took so long to reach oh, out. Oh heck, it's it's been really <laughs> fun. I, I'm thankful for the opportunity and and dig the podcast it's really it's been a fun resource to listen through yeah well thanks so much yeah man all right thanks this will be closing out the sermon smith podcast for the year 2015 next one will be back shortly into 2016 already recorded but again at the end of the year i just want to say to all of you thanks so much it's been fun to see how the audience has grown this year see more interaction with some of you on twitter and on facebook so please uh, feel free to reach out there or share for other people to find as well haven't mentioned this in a while, so I will mention it. If you would make a New Year's resolution to rate Sermon Smith on iTunes, that's one of the ways that helps people find the podcast. And if you could take a few moments to do that, I'd be very grateful. Thanks so much.